Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. of you to come here. You know, they say that a thing of beauty is a joy forever. I want to tell you someday you're going to make a man a wonderful annuity. Come on over here a little closer. In her relationships, if you look at a lot of them, they were very often with older men, famous men, successful men. She was looking for that one figure that she thought would mean protection and sanctuary and a home. You think a girl goes to a party and there's some guy, a great big lunk in a fancy striped vest, strutting around like a tiger, giving you that I'm so handsome you can't resist me look. And from this she's supposed to fall flat on her face. Well, she doesn't fall on her face. But there's another guy in the room, way over in the corner. Maybe he's kind of nervous and shy and perspiring a little. First you look past him, but then you sort of sense that he's gentle and kind and worried. That he'll be tender with you. Nice and sweet. That's what's really exciting. When she was a small child, she liked to pretend that Clark Gable was her father. Obviously, she had a great admiration for these big, strong men, manly men, very smart men. So... The two husbands she chose herself, Joe DiMaggio and Arthur Miller, were American heroes. Hello and welcome to part five of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm Jackie Moran. In this episode, we're going to look at the significant men in Marilyn's life. Not only her three husbands, but all her other love affairs, including with the two most charismatic and powerful men in America. And we will see how ultimately it was Marilyn's dangerously tangled life that sealed her fate and resulted in her death. Everything associated with the life and death of Marilyn Monroe is as murky as anything else we've ever come across. Forces countermanding one another. Everybody had an angle. Everybody had something to protect, something to hide. And we will hear from Marilyn herself as she opens her heart in the last interview she gave before her mysterious death. Uh, We are all born sexual creatures, thank God. It's a pity so many people despise and crush As we have already seen, Marilyn had learned from a very early age that her extraordinary beauty held a power over men, sometimes with horrific consequences. Here's author and Hollywood historian Bill Burns. 
before she even reached puberty, before she was a teenager, she was sexually molested by one of the foster parents that she had. Any sense of her innocence was completely destroyed. She was turned into a sexual creature before she was a teenager. That meant psychologically that the only response she had to any stimulation from men was sexual. Later, as a young wannabe desperate to make it in Hollywood, Marilyn had suffered, but also exploited, the infamous casting couch in order to attract the attention of the men who mattered. Well, I think that Marilyn had always been very promiscuous and very willing to sleep with Hollywood producers and power people in Hollywood. Everybody was sleeping with her, from her agents, Johnny Hyde at William Morris, from Mickey Rooney. Also, Louis Mayer was the head of Metro-Golden-Mayer, the head of MGM. He was entranced with Marilyn, and she was passed around the entire studio. In 1953, she was not only the biggest movie star in the world, but also the most lusted-after woman on the planet. A year earlier, she had started a high-profile romance with New York Yankees legend Joe DiMaggio. And on January 14, 1954, Hollywood's hottest property and baseball's greatest player made it official. Here's Marilyn herself speaking about Joe. Well, I met him the year he retired. He had already retired. I saw him for about a year and a half, two years, and we married in San Francisco. And his background, you know, his family, they were immigrants, and they had a very difficult time. And, and when he was young, he had a very difficult time building. He was a wonderful athlete, and he could hit a baseball. Anything thrown his direction, he can hit. So he understood some things about me and I understood some things about him and we based our marriage on it. Here's DiMaggio biographer Jerome Sharon. When Joe marries Marilyn, he's desperately in love with her. She's gorgeous and she's Mrs. Joe DiMaggio. Or we should say that Joe DiMaggio was Mr. Marilyn Monroe because he would suddenly find to his chagrin that she was much more famous than he was. News of the wedding had been leaked to the press, some say by Marilyn herself. And at the ceremony, the happy couple were mobbed by reporters and fans. The huge public fascination continued on their honeymoon in Japan. Marilyn even interrupted the trip to tour the Korean front lines entertaining the troops. Gee, I, I never felt I had an effect on people until I guess I was in Korea. I, I don't think until then, really, because uh, studios that I've worked with always said, remember one thing, you're no star. <laughs> he thinks he's going to go on a honeymoon to Japan, where he was known as DiMaggio's son, you know, the great American ball player. Well, they get off the plane, and he's, he himself is astounded because there are thousands of people around the plane. And they're all cheering, and later on she goes and performs for the soldiers in Korea, and she says, Joe, you know, you never heard such cheering. Well, of course, he's, he's deeply upset because he did hear the cheering, you know, every time he played the Yankee Stadium. But suddenly she's much more popular than he is, and he's in a kind of decline. 
Back in America, however, cracks soon began to show. Miss Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio are presently having domestic difficulties. When we think of the problems that the marriage had, he imagined in his mind that she would quit making films and they would sit in front of the television, have a TV dinner and make love and maybe go to an Italian restaurant in San Francisco that his father owned. And of course, she she was much more complex than he was and she had a career and she wanted to remain a star. After just nine months as man and wife, Marilyn and Joe separated. When she married him, everything changed. What Joe DiMaggio wanted was for Marilyn to leave show business, and she was a big star, and stay at home and be his wife only and make no other publicity. That's why they got divorced. The pair remained friends, however, and after Marilyn's death, it was Joe DiMaggio who organized her funeral. He will mourn her for the rest of his life because he was desperately in love with her. He he really genuinely loved her. Do you know on his deathbed, his last words were, at least I'll get to see Marilyn again? When we think of her in the 21st century, we don't think of her with Arthur Miller. We don't think of her with Frank Sinatra. We think of her with Joe DiMaggio and the kind of enduring love that he felt for her throughout his life. And, and long after she died. Marilyn was to marry another time to playwright Arthur Miller, 11 years her senior in 1956. This time, the union would last five years. And with Arthur Miller, they not only had a connection because they were both in the arts, he was a playwright and she was an actress, But he, too, was famous for championing the underdog, just like she was. If you read his work, it's all about sympathy for the common man. And that's exactly what Marilyn was all about. She's someone who had it in her mind to make something more of herself. And by marrying Arthur Miller, who was a very intellectual playwright, she really thought this was the perfect match. He could write her movies, she would star in them, make them successful for him, they would read books and do scholarly things together. Ultimately, however, the relationship would fall victim to the same pressures as her marriage to DiMaggio. Celebrity biographer Mark Bego. She was someone who was so pursued by the public. She was a huge movie star. He was someone who was more private and more quiet. Arthur Miller, of course, ran with a very intellectual crowd. And then Marilyn was looked at by people in power as just being, oh, that uh, movie star, that blonde bombshell sex goddess. She didn't want to be labeled as just a blonde bombshell or a sex symbol. Once again, Marilyn's search for a protective father figure ended in heartbreak. And once again, a victim of her own celebrity. And I think that Arthur Miller's circle really didn't take Marilyn as seriously as she thought she should be taken. She wanted to break loose of this image that she created for herself, which made her an international star. But I think a lot of people, including Arthur Miller, saw her as merely some vacuous movie star and and not of our intellectual level. 
Miller was also a noted leftist sympathizer and during their marriage was found guilty of contempt of Congress by the House Un-American Activities Committee, which was set up to investigate suspected communist subversives. Through him, Marilyn drew the interest of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, as we shall see in future episodes. By the turn of the decade, Marilyn was single once again. After her divorce from Arthur Miller, which had been a four-year marriage, she was back on the circuit. And, of course, the hottest property for men to date. Everyone wanted to know her or date her or see what she was like because she was the ultimate prize as far as womanhood of the day. For a woman who got a lot of her self-respect by looking at herself in the eyes of the men who were attracted to her, if they desired her, she must be worth something. There are certainly many men who have claimed to have had affairs and relationships with Marilyn. One never knows. And he said, I had a three-dimensional quality having to do with sex. She was realizing that she had the capacity to decide if she was going to start or stop affairs with different men. She was taking her sex symbol image and giving an explanation for it, not making it a hollow, cheap thing, but making it a a position of power, a position of self-awareness. I think that she was able to take this power of knowing that she had been a victim, knowing that she had a certain power as a woman uh, over her own life. And I think that she was a trailblazer. Among Marilyn's sexual partners were actors including Robert Mitchum, Marlon Brando, and Eve Montan. The director Elia Kazan, comedian Milton Berle, tycoon Howard Hughes, and the most famous entertainer in the world, Frank Sinatra. Entertainment journalist Charles Casillo. Like many men, Frank Sinatra fell under her spell. He treated her like he had never treated any other woman. He was very protective of her. He uh, even considered marrying her at one point. And he actually went to his lawyer and said that, I, I think I'm going to marry Marilyn. And his lawyer talked him out of it. This was in the, in the very early 60s. The lawyer said, don't marry her. She's going to commit suicide. And if she kills herself during the time that she's Frank Sinatra's wife, you will go down in history as the man responsible for Marilyn Monroe's death. She was living in New York after Arthur Miller left her. And she had a kind of family at the actor's studio, but she decided to go back to California in a way to be with Sinatra. And Sinatra, of course, took advantage of her. Through Sinatra, Marilyn was introduced to three men who would not only become her lovers, but also become crucial figures in her death. The first of these was Sam Giancana, head of the Chicago Mafia. Sam Giancana came into her orbit through Frank Sinatra who, I'm not going to say he was friends with those people, but he kept company with those kinds of people. Frank Sinatra owned this resort. It was called the Calneva Lodge. The gimmick of it was that part of it was in California and the other part was in Nevada. So it was like right down the middle. And it was a resort and it had a cabaret and he performed there. And Giancana was often there. In 1962, actor Gianni Russo was a teenager working for mobster Frank Costello. He got to know Marilyn at this time and saw how Giancana treated the star. Sam took advantage of him, man. He drugged her up. Yeah, I mean, that ugly little rat that he was. I I would have put the bullet in his head in his basement. I mean, what they did to this poor girl who's already confused. Yeah, Sam, they passed her around. Well, they just used her like a rag doll. I mean, at bars and clubs and places with her. But you could see 
Marilyn's dependence on drugs and alcohol had also reached alarming levels at this time. And she didn't even know where she was. I mean, most of the time this girl was so stretched out. I don't know why somebody like her, as powerful as she was already on screen, would let people abuse her like this. That was terrible. But I wasn't in a position to say anything to these guys. I was a young kid. Sam Giancana was not the only seemingly above-the-law man that Sinatra introduced Marilyn to, however. Thanks to his friendship with fellow Rat Packer, the English actor Peter Lawford, Sinatra had also fallen in with President John F. Kennedy, whose sister Patricia had married Lawford in 1954. He had a big beach house in Santa Monica. They would entertain, and sometimes Marilyn would be there. And I think that the attraction for Marilyn Monroe and JFK was, here are the two people, the two celebrities of the world, both at the top of their perspective field. He's the top of politics. She's the top of show business. The crowning achievement of their chosen profession, they had to come together. You know, they had to meet. They had to explore. They were both sexual people. His exploits were very well known. She's the the sex symbol of her generation. Marilyn just fell head over heels in love with President Kennedy. Kennedy was very sexually active. and He was very sexually active. And he saw in Marilyn Monroe a wonderful person to have an affair with. Marilyn's search for a father figure that had begun as a lonely foster child gazing at a photograph of a man she called dad but never met had taken her all the way to the most powerful man in the world. She quickly became infatuated with the president. Even so the story goes, writing to wife Jackie to inform her that she was going to replace her as first lady. The problem was that because Kennedy was president, he couldn't be seen to be having an affair with Marilyn. It couldn't be public. On May 19, 1962, Marilyn gave one of her most iconic performances, which was also, in retrospect, one of the worst mistakes of her life. Invited to sing at JFK's birthday celebration at Madison Square Garden in New York, she pulled out all the stops in an attempt to win him back. And then you think, my God, I'll sing this song. If it's the last thing I'll ever do, you know. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. Marilyn's breathless rendition of Happy Birthday, Mr. President was outrageous. It was a naked statement of intent, Marilyn announcing to the world that she and JFK were engaged in a sexual relationship. And just in case there was any lingering doubt, she performed in a flesh-colored dress that left nothing to the imagination. I've seen that dress up close at Christie's when it was recently auctioned off, and it was absolutely see-through and absolutely skin-tight, form-fitting, and she was literally sewn into it backstage before she got on to sing to the president. Flesh gown, did they call it? It looked like her skin had been sewn on by a couturier in France, and she was high on pills, 
Jackie had the good taste not to attend that evening, and even her non-presence at that event was highly conspicuous, and it led to conjecture on the part of all of Jackie's friends as to why Jackie didn't attend this birthday party for her husband. Unfortunately for Marilyn, her bid to go public with her relationship with the president backfired spectacularly. Here's forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht. Whether they, John, Bobby, individually, two of them, or some other people uh, acting uh, in their behalf felt, hey, uh, we can't deal with this. We've got a re-election coming up with John. Uh, we got Bobby Kennedy's uh, future. He's going to be president someday. Uh, we can't have Marilyn Monroe uh, around telling tales or uh, promenading in that fashion. When Jackie Kennedy saw Marilyn Monroe do that performance in Madison Square Garden, she laid down the law to her husband, you break it off with Marilyn, period. So what Jack did was he asked Bobby Kennedy to handle Marilyn Monroe for a while. And that's what Bobby Kennedy did, and then Marilyn fell in love with Bobby Kennedy. Rejected and humiliated, Marilyn threw herself at dynamic younger brother Bobby, then Attorney General. He was to be her last love. And I had met the Attorney General briefly, so it was good to see a, you know, smiling, friendly face. (laughs) Bobby Kennedy was also a big part of this set. He started seeing her, and they really hit it off. They really had a lot in common, and he was a much more sensitive person than his brother. They talked about civil rights, believe it or not. They, They talked about politics. She needed John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, two of the most powerful men in the world, to want her. It took on a very, very deep significance to her. It wasn't like the others. It wasn't just a fling or a love affair or let's explore this to see where it goes. It was more like, you have to love me. But if Bobby was more sensitive than his brother, there remained the same obstacles to a serious relationship with Marilyn. He was not only married, but he was an intensely ambitious politician. And in 1960s America, that meant keeping a squeaky clean public image. I don't think in their eyes these weren't serious affairs. With them, these were political animals. They couldn't fall for her. So when they started distancing themselves to her, she was really, really lost. It's almost having certain kind of secrets for yourself that you'll let the whole world in on. But, you know, there have to be those moments of privacy. Marilyn's complicated, promiscuous, desperate love life had put her at the center of a deadly circle of power. Between Sam Giancana's mafia, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, the president, and the attorney general of the United States of America, and had unleashed forces she was no longer able to control. Events were about to take a fatal turn. All the men that she found attractive because they were powerful were also the enemies of a lot of dark forces on the periphery of that. For example, she got involved with the Kennedys. Who hated the Kennedys? Giancana hated the Kennedys. So by getting to Marilyn, it was an open door to anyone who wanted to punish the Kennedys. When Bobby Kennedy breaks off the affair, Marilyn is so upset She calls the Justice Department to leave a message threatening the Kennedy brothers. If you don't return my phone call, she says, I'm going to go public with these affairs. Unbeknownst to Marilyn Monroe, both the CIA and the FBI had taped her phone. She was wiretapped. They had recordings 
Both agencies had recordings of Marilyn's threat to Bobby Kennedy. The whole system was top-heavy with gossip and intrigue, and a lot of people knew a lot of stuff. The lid was about to blow off. Next time on The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe had become such a threat to the Kennedys that they had to get rid of her. She was also such a threat that the FBI wanted her out of the way, or at least shut up. And the CIA wanted her out of the way. It was all a system waiting to crash. Marilyn was very dangerous, a huge threat to the power structure of both the official politics and the mob and Hollywood and the medical establishment. Imagine threatening to bring down so many powerful people. Marilyn was just too dangerous a woman to be allowed to continue to live. The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utten. Reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada. Scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe wherever you get podcasts.